0: welcome 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 this is episode 96 of brews less traveled podcast exploring the best uncharted beer scenes around the united states surprise it's your old friend mc i'm going to be your host for tonight brian is sadly not with us but i am going to be taking you to our next new city of the month and that is going to be the windy city chicago As you know, with every new city, we have a new co-host, and that is going to be Todd Summers, who knows a thing or two about Chicago. He is CBT's Chief Innovative Officer and one of the hosts um, who you might recognize from our annual Hoppy Hanukkah Beer Box live stream. Hey, Todd, how's it going?
1: MC, it's a pleasure. I wasn't looking forward to seeing Brian, so this is a treat. (laughs) Perfect treat. I'm the world's biggest Chicago fan. So born and raised, I moved back immediately after college. I'm a massive Chicago sports fan, Chicago beer fan. Anything about Chicago, I will wax poetic about. So I just am so happy that Brian Volun told me to do this.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear um, everything from your perspective. You know, you may have... Giving me a little bit of a hard time already about being from um, St. Louis, kind of a rival, a little bit of a rival town, but we'll try to, we'll try to keep it civil here tonight. One
1: nice thing about St. Louis, it has the World Chess Hall of Fame, and that's a oh, good thing to have. So that's I did all so that that. nice about St. Louis.
0: My family mostly lives in St. Louis. I um, uh, am mostly from like rural Missouri, but I've been spending a lot more time in Chicago recently, and I really love it. So I'm excited to get into this interview. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. So yeah, let's jump right in. So we have traveled down the coast of Lake Michigan, and this month we're going to be focusing, like I said, in Chicago, in the city that gave us bourbon barrel aged stout, um, the iconic Meisterbrow, and during Prohibition actually served as a backdrop for a gang conflict known as beer wars. So this month, like I said, we're featuring Chicago, Illinois. According to Choose Chicago, which is the Windy City's Visitors Bureau, Chicago is home to over 160 breweries, some of the best bar culture that America has to offer, and one of the best food scenes in the world, let alone the United States. Of course, the story of Chicago craft beer cannot be told without mentioning Goose Island. Um, It's the brewery known for the 312 wheat ale, um, creating bourbon barrel aged stout, and being the first craft brewery as you may know, to sell 100% of its ownership to Anheuser-Busch. Employees from Goose Island have gone on to start some of the most influential breweries in the country. Side project, off-color, and of course, today's featured brewery.
1: Yeah, and what a great brewery it is. It's Revolution Beer. Revolution opened in 2010, they have two locations in Chicago, including a 90,000-square-foot production facility um, that opened in 2022. They also have a brew pub that I used to go to every Tuesday night. And they've won numerous medals at the Great American Beer Festival, the World Beer Cup, and Chicago's own festival of barrel-aged
0: beers. That is right. So first of all, you know we are going to be sipping on some beers from them. The first one's going to be that Freedom Lemonade. Uh, which is a session sour with lemons and cane sugar. Um, And then we are taking a hard left turn later in the pod to sip on that death's tar. So uh, gear yourselves up for this one. It is an imperial oatmeal stout aged in bourbon barrels.
1: And we can't forget to mention as well, they also sent along some amazing stickers and koozies for our beer club subscribers. I've already stuck mine and put the koozie in my golf bag. So shout out to the subscribers joining tonight. Thank you for being here.
0: Excellent. So without further ado, we are going to welcome our first guest of the month and welcome our guest for the evening. He is the brewmaster at Revolution. He's been at Revolution since its founding, um, and he previously worked at the prestigious breweries that you have definitely heard of, such as Three Floyds, Firestone Walker, and obviously Chicago's Goose Island, where he met the Revolution founder, Josh Death. So we are going to welcome Jim Seibach. Jim, how's it going?
2: Hi, guys. Uh, Good evening. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, Jim. Thanks for coming and joining us. Right off the bat, we always like to start our interviews with some greatly anticipated quick sip questions. So these are going to be quick questions and they deserve speedy answers. You ready? Sounds great. Okay, great. So favorite non-revolution beer?
2: I would have to say probably Pivo Pilsner from uh, Firestone Walker. I definitely love... uh, pony pills from half acre here in Chicago Ooh. as well. Excellent.
0: Yeah. A couple of great pilsners there. Favorite golf course.
2: Ooh, favorite golf course. I think I've ever played was Medina number three. Um, I had a friend that was a member. We got an opportunity to play that and we uh, kept the honest score and I, it was the, the most proud 117 score that I ever shot there. Cause we, we played it from the tips right before the uh, PGA championship there where Tiger Woods won, and they, it was playing like 7,400 yards.
0: <laughs> wow. I uh, am not a golf person, but I can appreciate the the beauty of a nice golf course. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, here we go. The ultimate question. Cubs or Sox? I
2: have always been a Sox fan. I know uh, baseball is very sometimes polarizing here in Chicago. Uh, I'm definitely a, a Sox fan, but uh, not a Cubs hater by any means. I'm always happy to see them do well as well, but I grew up on the South Side, so I'm definitely a Sox
0: fan. Excellent. Favorite spirit barrel for aging beer?
2: Ooh, you know, that is really a great question. I would say bourbon 100%, uh, no doubt about it.
0: Okay. And finally, last but not least, have you ever seen Bigfoot, a UFO, anything paranormal?
2: I've seen some Bigfoot barley wine from Sierra Nevada in my day, but I've never (laughs) actually seen an actual Bigfoot.
0: That is an excellent answer. I I did too, but nobody has ever answered that and that I have heard. And I think that is the perfect answer. Excellent.
1: We're going to open our first beer. Jim, what do you want to tell us about the Freedom Lemonade?
0: Well,
2: I'll tell you what, it is a beer that we are super proud of. It was a huge team effort at Revolution Brewing Company. We've probably trialed this brew and experimented with it with our liquid innovation team more than any beer put together in our entire history of Revolution Brewing Company. So what this beer is, it actually starts out as a kettle soured beer, which we are Uh, souring with a blend of lactobacillus plantarum and brevis in our brew house. So we're we're souring the wort in in the brew house and then we're boiling and adding our hops and sending it to the fermentation tank uh, where it ferments with our English ale yeast. Once the fermentation is complete, we actually make up a fresh batch of lemon simple syrup and we add some fresh lemon concentrate and some lemon extract as well into the finished product uh, in a fermentation tank, where then it gets pasteurized, flash pasteurized, and then sent to a bright beer tank, and then packaged either in cans or in kegs. Uh, it's been a really fun beer to play with, and we've ripped off of it. We've done a strawberry lemonade version of this, and we're always experimenting. Andy Lautner, who is our head of liquid innovation and head brew pub brewer, is uh, was so instrumental in putting this beer and all these freedom variants together. Uh, I I can't even tell you how thankful I am to have him on the team. And uh, our brew team has been awesome too, because we had to do, you know, all the tough labor of doing a lot of taste testing on this beer, but what Andy would do is he would take the freedom Base beer and he would experiment. Uh, what he would do is dose different crawlers. So he would be able to fill like 10 to 20 different crawlers at a time. And each one was dosed at a different rate. And we were able to kind of taste the different products and extracts and, and uh, concentrates to really dial this in and really try to infuse as much of a fresh lemon character as possible. Because when you really get fresh lemonated, it has tartness, which... Uh, The kettle sour base beer really helps with, but also the uh, the lemon concentrate in there, but also any great lemonade. I think a cornerstone is some sweetness in there as well. And a handmade simple syrup, as if you guys are making some cocktails at home, I'm sure you've realized that that's the best best way to go for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It's so like amusement park lemonade, right? It feels like the good lemonade that's not... Thin, you know it has that like a little bit of tartness but it's sweet it almost is like frozen dells for the east coast people you know it's really really prominent it's amazing like you get way more than just like kettle sour you get a lot of that like beautiful lemon. i'm a f- big fan i can Thank drink you. this and i could drink hundreds of these this is if you're a <laughs> golfer this is like oh yeah a go-to oh, my goodness
2: this will be a very nice uh, golf course beer. And it's a uh, it's a nice low ABV too. It's only 4.5%, so it's super refreshing and sessionable. So it makes for a very pleasant drinking experience, especially when the weather's warm outside. But even if it's not warm outside, I enjoy these. I've been enjoying them all uh, winter as well.
0: Yeah, it looks like everybody in the chat is really enjoying it. People have already drank their whole beer. Um, you said that there's several variations Do you have a favorite?
2: I really like this Blackberry uh, Freedom Lemonade that Andy is working on. This one has been, uh, it's not yet packaged. What we do is we have a little innovation station uh, that's in the back of the brewery where people could come through. uh, Employees could uh, rate beers and test beers. That, that we're uh, churning out of our pilot system or experimenting with. Also, the public can stop by when they're doing tours and taste beers and evaluate them for us as well. And the results go onto a Google spreadsheet so we could see what people uh, have to say about the beers, see what they think. And these beers have all performed very well, not only with staff, but with uh, touring customers that have come through too. So it's a great promotional option for people to taste new beers. Sometimes things that have never been made before or may never be made again but it also helps us kind of refine and define uh, the direction that we want to go uh, in the future with not only kettle sour beers but also different IPAs, trialing hops, uh, different uh, high gravity beers as well. So it gives us uh, the ability to really experiment and really get uh, the opportunity to put the product in front of people.
0: Very cool. Awesome. Well. Now everybody knows if you ever get Chicago and you ever get to revolution, definitely go on a tour. It sounds like uh, you might get some special treats out of it. So, Jim, before Revolution, you worked at the previously largest craft brewery in Illinois, Goose Island. So there you worked with some really well-respected brewers, Matt Brindelson. I hope I'm saying that correct, and Greg Hall. Yes. Um, and there is a story out there about a batch of Honkers Ale that came out wrong, and you and Matt actually completely disassembled the fermentation tank to troubleshoot the issue, which is crazy. So can you talk about the attention to detail at Goose Island in those days and how that's kind of influenced the rest of your brewing career?
2: Indeed. Um, working with Greg and Matt and Jason Neaton, who was our QC lab manager, amazing brewer, super dedicated. Uh, I learned so much and it was such a, uh, an opportunity to I think we we kind of fed off of each other wanting to learn more, make the product better, try new things, try new hops, try new processes. And, you know, everyone was just so enthusiastic every day to come into work and just, you know, try to make things better and try new things. And it was really, really awesome. And that story is actually really cool. I'm not sure where you even heard about that. But I, I remember the, the fermentation tank you were talking about. There was an issue with a, a batch of Honker's Ale. And Matt and I were... CIPing this tank and we were standing next to the tank and it sounded a little bit different than it normally does because normally when you're recirculating cleaning liquid in a tank you could hear the spray ball is spraying down the sides of the tank and you could hear that by putting your we always like to put our ear up to the tank so you know you could always test things with uh, with meters and do titrations on chemicals, but you have to also be physically involved and listen sometimes to in the process. And it sounded funny to us. And we came to the conclusion we we had to open up the bottom of the tank because it, it just sounded like it was a stream of water coming down and it wasn't spraying the sides of the tank. So lo and behold, we uh, when we opened up the bottom of the tank and looked inside there, we noticed that either the spray ball had fallen off or it had never actually even been placed in that tank to begin with. So (laughs) it it was a a matter of like, when you have issues in a brewery, you have to really kind of be, it's almost like uh, you're a forensic detective and you're trying to kind of walk your way through and try to figure out what could possibly be the problem or causing this issue. And and sure enough, if you have a tank that's not getting uh, caustic recirculated properly through it, it's going to be a problem that that's for sure.
0: Yes, absolutely. I love that you say that the way that you kind of noticed it was just by hearing it or like it sounded different. That was the first thing I learned working in production in a brewery is like, you, this is like an all five senses job and you have to listen and really pay attention to the noises. And after a few weeks, few months, um, and I'm sure after l- like working in production, as long as you have a, a certain sound will really signal an issue to you. So that's really interesting. I really like that story. It's it's nice to
2: have the loud music blaring in a brewery, yeah. but you, you, also, <laughs> you also need to be able to hear what's going on too, because something could be going very badly or going wrong with a piece of machinery and you could identify it by hearing it or Sometimes seeing it for sure, but sometimes just hearing something, if you're used to hearing it every morning or every afternoon or evening, it's like you, you can tell when something is
1: not going right.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Totally. And we touched on this a little bit, but Revolution being the size that it is now, I imagine we, we're talking about the development of free of Lemonade, but when you're making new products and now there are so many departments, so you know, you have distribution, you have marketing, sales, upper management. How do you go from an idea at the back that tour customers are giving feedback on from an idea from marketing saying, we need something that is going to sell because this is the trend? How do do you go from idea or start of a product through getting something to market? How does that work?
2: In the initial days, that was mostly Josh and I making those decisions, but... Uh, most of the ideas come from either myself or Josh. The brew staff has been, I mean, we've got an amazing brew team, Brewer, Sellerman, uh, Andy on Liquid Innovation, Marty and Victor uh, rocking out the, the barrels in the Deepwood program. So we've got a lot of great ideas coming from a lot of people. And I think why we've been able to be so successful quickly is always listening and, and being ready to listen to people's great ideas. Because when you have a lot of smart people in in on your team the, the last thing you want to do is hold anyone back or or stifle any great ideas cuz i mean you you want people to be super inspired and feel that their ideas are being heard and that you know when they have a great idea that it's going to go into you know and they're going to see it to fruition see a beer go into production and i mean that's happened so many times with different variants different beer styles i mean we're you know we're always listening to what people have to say uh, on our team and in the company. And when there's a great idea out there, the last thing you want to do is hold it back just because it didn't come from you. I mean, that's that's one thing I think we've always wanted to do is always get better and always be listening and learning. And if you think that you have your process mastered, uh, something is going to change your mind on that. And then you're going to feel pretty foolish about it. So We always are trying to learn and get better and be open-minded and, you know, listen to ideas from from everybody. And we've been uh, incorporating some staff brew days into our mix, which has been really fun, too, because we get some folks from uh, up in the uh, accounting department to the sales department to uh, new employees that are coming into the company, uh packaging team, seller team, brew team. Anyone is welcome to join for these brew days. And if they have a particular idea of about a style of beer they would like to brew, uh, or some particular hops or materials or yeast strain that we might want to try that we haven't in the past, we're always game to to listen and try and you know try these new things because you never know when something is going to really be awesome and it could, you know, become a, a huge selling product. And one thing I've kind of learned in this business is whenever you think that you have your you know, your most popular selling beer, there, there's always another one that, that could be coming down the line. So you, you never know. And you always want to be looking. I always feel like we're looking five steps ahead. So sometimes we don't get a chance to really look and sit down and smell the roses just because we're always kind of looking four steps down the line.
0: Yeah, that's so cool that. Uh, your whole team gets to participate, you know, from accounting to brewmasters. Um, have there been Absolutely. any surprising or particularly popular innovations that that have come out of those trials or um, those brew teams or anything like that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think that our Kettle Sour program definitely came out of our innovation program. It started actually at the Brew Pub. Will Turner, who was our head Brew Pub brewer at, at the time, Uh, And uh, another brewer at the brew pub, his name was uh, John Palos. They started working with uh, kettle souring beers over there. And what they were doing is they were using unpasteurized Greek yogurt, because it still had the live lactobacillus in there. And they were using that to sour the wort. And you know, they were really getting some great results. But I'm always kind of looking at the next step and thinking, okay, if we're going to step this up to our, you know, 150 barrel brew at our uh, at the production facility, we don't want to have to order, you know, 500 pounds of Greek yogurt. So, uh, what we did, what we learned is uh, we had to uh, get a small lacto culture and grow that up, almost like you're uh, propagating up a sourdough culture for uh, mm-hmm. for making sourdough bread. So. Uh, A lot of the, that was a a great example of just, you know, something that started as a small innovation at the brew pub and then got refined and taken up to full scale production. But uh, also our hazy brewing, Uh, we got kind of into the hazy game a little bit late. I think being old school brewers, we are never huge fans of hazy IPAs just because sometimes they would be a little cloyingly sweet and thick and I always love IPAs that are crisp and really fresh and, you know, with their hop aromatics and have a nice sturdy bitterness to them. But it was just a matter of us kind of, we wanted to circle our wagons and really uh, taste a lot of different beers, uh, a lot of hazy IPAs from a lot of different breweries, a lot of breweries that we respect and enjoy. And uh, we wanted to really kind of refine our process and put a product out there that the entire brew team and entire company was proud of.
0: Excellent. So let's all make that hard left turn that we talked about. We're very excited to be featuring this next beer. And I think everybody crushed their first beer. So let's get into that Death's Tar. Jim, what do you want to tell us about this beer?
2: Death's Tar. That is an Imperial Oatmeal Stout. And it's one of my favorite beers that we make because I love dark beers. It was one of the Imperial stouts and stouts and porters in general, dark beers are what really got me excited about homebrewing and drinking craft beers. They've always been my favorite styles to drink, especially when it's cold outside. But uh, D-Star being an imperial oatmeal stout, it has flaked oats and also oat malt in there uh, to give the beer a nice silky texture and give it some body, even when it's a big, strong beer We're using dark malts from Thomas Fawcett's uh, really awesome uh, malt facility in England. We use their roasted barley and black malt and a little bit of their dark crystal malt in this beer as well. This is barrel aged, uh, this particular D-Star. Marty is a master of blending. Uh, He has really refined and developed his blending skills and has a, a calculator that he uses to incorporate age. Uh, time in barrel uh, strength finishing gravity he incorporates all this into his planning and calculations to produce a beer that is as balanced as possible even at these higher abvs like these tar being right in that you know high 14 percent range uh that you would think that that might be a little thin and boozy and hard to drink but uh, really it's very velvety and silky from not only the oat malt but uh, a blend of a lot of different bourbon barrels Giving the beer a very nice silky texture and a really nice, uh, classy oaky toasty oak character to it as well. It's uh, one of my favorite barrel age beers that we do, and uh, Marty and Victor have been crushing it in the barrel program and the Deepwood program. And uh, even though it's one of our mainstay beers in, in our Deepwood series, I mean, it, it just I feel like keeps getting better and better every year. And one of the things that we've always been able to want to do is overproduce beer for aging so we extended age these beers and in the past we are never able to do that but now we're consciously producing more than we need with the the whole plan of extended aging beer so when we are blending a batch of d star it's not only the previous year's batch but it could be some batches of d star that are two to three years old and that is just really amps up the complexity and the oak character and the, just the velvety silky texture of the beer.
1: I love the, for me, I'm a, one of these and I'll sleep for two days. So this is a, (laughs) a, a bigger beer than, than I'm used to, but like, it's so approachable. I love the vanilla, which I like, I have a sweet tooth, fruit of lemonade, Todd beer. So like catching the vanilla, catching a little bit of the coconut, and like the, the bourbon is just right. It feels like I'm not, I feel like I'm not taking a shot of whiskey, which sometimes like is the nasal rag, you know, is the sensation I get. So you mentioned the Deepwood series. Mm-hmm. And so for the, the Deepwood series is your barrel aged series that you do every year. Tell me a little bit about any of the, if to do that year in and year out. What are the challenges that the production team faces? Like, why is that? Is it more difficult than making Freedom Lemonade, or is it different challenges? What's unique about that?
2: It's very challenging on on a lot of respect, or from a lot of respects, not only uh, doing a lot of planning, planning to make sure that we have enough beer that's aged at the proper amount of time in barrel for, and having the proper quantity that we are targeting to release but also it's always a challenge in the brew house brewing these really massive high OG beers. It's it's hard, stresses out the mash mixer, the lauder ton, especially when you're uh, adding a lot of flaked oats or oat malt, or god forbid when we brew ryeway, we have about 50% rye malt in there. So the lauder ton is not liking us very much when that one is in there. That's for sure. But these beers are challenging in the brew house, but they're challenging in the cellar as well, just because we have to make sure that we have enough yeast to kind of handle these super high gravity fermentations. Cause some of these beers are upwards of, you know, 30 to 35 Plato OG, and we're trying to pitch them at 3 million cells per mil. So we have to make sure that we have enough healthy, viable yeast to handle that. Otherwise you're going to end up with a stalled fermentation and With these big beers, if you don't get them rocking early, it's really challenging to bring more yeast in there and try to get them to attenuate properly just because that yeast is coming into that tank and it's a super high sugar concentration. So yeast is not liking that. And then the alcohol content starts getting high and it's very unhappy in there as well. So very challenging from uh, not only the brew house perspective and the cellar, and then uh, Marty and Victor take over and handle all the barrel filling and emptying and, and blending. And there's a ton of tasting that goes in in between there. They're pulling barrels down and uh, testing the pH and actually we will taste through the barrels and make sure that everything is tasting good. Uh, Kristen, who is our QC lab manager at Kedsy does a lot of testing of the barrels as well. And we're, we're just trying to keep an eye on these barrels because uh, when we're putting a blend together that might have 200, 250 actual oak bourbon barrels in there, Uh, As they say, one bad apple can spoil the bunch. Never is that more true than in a uh, barrel age situation like that. If you have a barrel that is growing some Britannomyces, even in very small quantities there, uh, when it gets introduced into a huge blend, it could slowly over time, take a foothold in there and create some issues.
0: Mm, Right. Yeah. Something you got to catch pretty quick, I would imagine. So Revolution's slogan is we have fun doing what we do and we hope you have fun drinking our beers. So tell us what is the most fun thing that you get to do as the brewmaster at Revolution?
2: well you know it, it's really fun because i i get the opportunity to brew on the pilot system and with andy and over at the brew pub as well we're actually gearing up to uh propagate some yeast and brew some ghost ride colch over there next week so anyone out there that likes a nice crisp crisp colch in about four weeks uh, you have to stop by either the tap room at Kedzie uh or the brew pub and uh take care of your thirst with some some ghost rides but yeah i get to uh, be involved in brewing and also looking at our process and tasting barrels and talking with marty about what kind of barrels he is looking at uh, ordering to put beer in we just recently got some uh, ambarana barrels from brazil that we've been experimenting with finishing beers in and it is just like we had a warehouse where there's a 150 barrel brew house operating we have stacks of malt uh, about 100 bourbon barrels on racks and you could smell these two umbarana barrels from 30 feet away with all that other operations going on at the same time. So it was just amazing. It smelled almost like a snickerdoodle cookie. I mean, and these barrels were wrapped up in plastic. So they're very, very uh, aromatic and they create some amazing aromas and flavors in these beers in a very short period of time. So we've been experimenting with those as finishing barrels and Uh, yeah, just working on the process and, you know, thinking about different recipes and hops to experiment with on the pilot system. It's, you know, sometimes I remember when I first got started in brewing and I just, you know, I was nervous because I really didn't know much. And there wasn't much of a brewing industry or a craft brewing industry to even speak of. And, um, you know, I was just worried. I, I never thought almost 30 years down the line, I'd be still, you know, brewing beer and, you know, enjoying it as much as I am, and being able to do so many cool things. And, you know, it's been awesome to be able to go and, you know, meet farmers to meet the people that are growing our hops, growing our barley, malting our barley, and, you know, pelletizing our hops. So having relationships over the years with our hop farmers and uh, malt suppliers and maltsters, it's really been awesome, because you really see how much passion that they have, producing our, our raw materials. And I think they're pretty stoked to see us as brewers be so enthusiastic to uh, get a hold of these materials and put them into beer and let them actually see, you know, what all their hard work, uh, the see the finished product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like you have a ton of fun experiments going on. How big is your pilot system? Sounds like you guys put it to a lot of work.
2: We have been putting it to work. We've had it for just over a year, and we've done about 40 pilot brews
0: on it oh, wow. thus
2: far. It, it's pretty small. It's kind of funny because it's right next to our 150-barrel brew house, and our, our, our pilot system is only a, a 50 gallons is what our kettle full volume is <laughs> on this uh, pilot system. And it's it's really awesome. It's a combination mash tun and a combination Whirlpool brew kettle. And we have the ability to heat. There's a heating element in the mash water ton. So you could do step mashes in there. You could recirculate the word and heat it up and raise your mash tap if you want to. Uh, it's all electric. So we didn't need to have any uh, ventilation for any gas burners in there. So that was really cool. It also gives us the ability, since it's right by brew house number two, which is the big brew house, we can divert wort from the lauder ton right into our brew kettle and boil it if we want to. Because we have a wet mill for the big brew house, and that's what we use to mash in into the into the mash mixer. And we uh, we can't mash in with the wet mill into our into our little mash lauder ton. It would uh, right. shoot shoot mash up to the ceiling. It would come in right. so fast. <laughs> But we are able to collect work from the Lauderton and boil that in the brew kettle of the pilot system, which allows us to actually have word that's gone through our, our normal process, but we could hop it differently. Like if we're brewing anti-hero, we could divert that word and use different hops. We could use English hops if we wanted to, we can hop it however we want and experiment with new hops. And it's been great because we have three little fermenters there as well. They're about a barrel and a half SS brew tech, tanks that are patched into our glycol system. They've been awesome and really allow us to control our fermentations and produce high quality beers out of this pilot system that are crystal clear. And because you really need to have a, a really nice, fully finished product to, to evaluate it properly. You don't want it to look horrible or not decarbonated properly. These have little carb stones in them. We got all the bells and whistles so we can we could hook up our little Hoffman CO2 meter to it and see what the dissolved oxygen level is in the beer and see what the CO2 level is. So they've been great. And it produces great beers, not only for staff to drink uh, and evaluate that, as I said before, customers as well. And, We've produced and trialed a bunch of different beers on there that have gone into full production. Uh, hazy Pitch, was a, which is a hazy pale ale that we brew. Um, our Eugene with EB2 peanut butter powder we trialed, and we learned how to use that product on the pilot system. Uh, Caramel Crisp, which is a uh, collaboration with our next-door neighbors, Garrett Popcorn, very famous local Chicago company here. Uh, we, we brewed a strong brown ale. With them and we incorporated uh, car- their caramel corn and we weren't quite sure where we wanted to use it in the in the process because we knew that there's butter that's involved and we know that fat from the butter and oils that are in there can kill the head retention of a beer so we learned that instead of putting it in the brew kettle and boiling it we added it in the mash and then when the mash got pumped up to the lauderton all the popcorn uh, everything we didn't want And the popcorn got trapped in the grain bed there, and we just ran the nice clean word into the brew kettle. So uh, that was very helpful and a great learning experience because we are not used to. There's a lot of things that are in my wheelhouse about putting a recipe together. I could probably do it in ten minutes for most styles, but with a uh, something where we're trying to incorporate caramel corn, I was definitely a little bit nervous on that. And I a didn't want to destroy any equipment, and b didn't want to produce a terrible finished product, especially uh, since our neighbors next door were super excited to to taste it and uh, we didn't wanna let them down. So that was uh, a really great opportunity to trial. And and then finally, uh, one of our new IPAs that's been really doing well for us, is called Infinity Hero. And that is kind of a hybrid between a hazy and a clear IPA. So we ferment this with our uh, British Ale 5 omega yeast strain that we normally ferment our hazy ipas with and what we do is we'll dry hop it early so we get that bio transformation to get the really nice fruity citrusy tones in and uh uh, actually some stone fruit character in there as well and uh we're we're dry hopping it with some really cool hops uh hbc 586 and 1019 nectaron and strata which are all newer hops, uh the 586 and 1019 are not even named yet. So they're they're that new. So it allowed us to experiment really dial this beer in and refine it. We did like three trial brews on the pilot system, really trying to dial in the that dry hop was the real key for dialing in on that beer. We did two or three versions of it. And each time we did the first two were like mm, it's okay. You know, it's it was a perfectly passable beer, but it just wasn't very you know, mind blowing. It wasn't really, you know, different enough to really kind of create a new product out of it. So once we really dialed in those quantities and those varieties, then we're like, yeah, there we go. We've really got something here now.
1: Cool. The only thing I've ever had to fully stop myself from doing is eating Garrett's popcorn, which I have a self-imposed ban from. Um, It's (laughs) the best thing in the world. Um, what, What an amazing thing to brew with. You could probably answer the next question by saying making a beer with Garrett's popcorn as your answer, but you've been brewing for 30 years as a, as a pro, which like there are not a lot of people with 30 years experience in this industry. As you mentioned, when you started, it was very uh, minimal of, uh, of an industry. So what, when you think of your legacy, what do you, what do you hope to have left for the world? What, what do you hope to sort of have imparted on the, the community?
2: You know, I just think hopefully people appreciate that. I've kind of retained my passion for beer and not only brewing beer, but brewing a lot of classic styles of beer. One of the things I've always wanted to do is make sure that classic English beers or classic Belgian styles don't ever get forgotten about. And that's one of the great things about our pilot system is even sometimes it's hard to get certain styles of beer greenlit just because they might not be a big seller, but it'll, you know... I think it's the duty of every brewer to keep brewing dark English mild, mild ales or English bitters or Belgian table beers, because these are great styles of beer and we don't want to see them get uh, forgotten about or go to the wayside. And I think early on uh, brewing at Goose Island with Greg Hawley really kind of instilled a lot of those classic styles and brewing those and having that mindset into my brewing skills for sure. So I just think, you know, having a passion for brewing and also one of the things I've always loved to do too is when I'm writing recipes, I always do it by hand on paper. And I've always felt that that allows me to get a little more in tune and in touch with the uh, recipe and the beer style itself, calculating the IBUs that the hops are going to contribute, calculating the color, calculating how much malt we're going to need to use, just trying to crunch these numbers. I feel really brings you a little more in touch with the beer and what you're trying to produce rather than just clicking a few buttons and having an answer spit out for you. And I've always tried to kind of instill that into all the brewers that I've worked with. And uh, we've got a calculation book that I like to pass around and let people either make copies of or check out. But uh, it was something I put together a long time ago just so I wouldn't forget as I got older and uh, needed a reference point. So yeah, I, I just think, you know, really it's it's a matter of being passionate and really enjoying what you do. And I, you know, I, as I said, when I reflected on it earlier, it's like, you know, I feel so lucky and fortunate to be able to be making beer, doing something that I love to do and doing it with people that I love. And it's it's been a great life. And uh, you know, I don't regret it one bit whatsoever. I know it was a little scary because before I started brewing, I had just graduated from Loyola here in Chicago and I got a degree in finance. And I was, I had to tell my mom and dad, I'm like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to brew some beer for a living. And that, you know, luckily my, my family was super supportive. And that's one of the reasons I am here because of my family. They're awesome. But uh, yeah, I, I think just being passionate and, you know, loving what you do and enjoying going to work every day is something that I feel very fortunate to be able to do.
0: Well, final question for you, Jim. Yes. What is something that you wish Chicago was more well known for?
2: You know, I I hate to say it, still because it's such a huge brewing community here, but I just feel like Chicago doesn't get the cred that it deserves for you know having as many awesome breweries as it does, and it's not only in Chicago, but it's I mean it's literally all over Illinois, like in the in the suburbs surrounding Chicago, up further up north, down south. I mean. Chicago and Illinois as a whole is man. It's an awesome brewing. Uh, Chicago is an awesome brewing city, and Illinois is a big brewing state. I, I'd love to see the craft brew conference come back to to Chicago again. I, I feel like it's it's ripe for it. I mean, we've got more breweries now than than ever, and I, I would love to see it come back and you know get more of the credit that it truly deserves.
0: I agree. I was I was slow to the uptake on how great the beer was in Chicago and my last couple of visits, I'm just like astounded. All the beers that I drink. I mean, you can't find bad beer in Chicago. I feel like just everywhere you turn, there's a great brewery. Um, the beer community is great in Chicago. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. Um, hopefully we'll get some more interested beer drinkers and visiting Chicago and, uh, maybe making some Midwest beer trips after this podcast. Well, with all that being said, thanks so much for joining us, Jim. It was such a pleasure talking with you. Um, before you go, is there anything that you want to plug? And where can folks find Revolution Beer, either um, you know on the ether or in person?
2: I just wanted to say, coming up uh, for our Deepwood release, we've got a uh, VSO Gravedigger, which is a really cool beer. It's been aging in barrels for two-plus years, and what it is is a a strong style of Scottish ale called a We Heavy. And it's really really awesome. It's got some really cool specialty malts in there uh, from Grease Malting Company, some English Caramel Malts, tiny bit of smoked malt in there from Best Malt. We didn't go with any peat smoked malt in there, which I think a lot of times people associate with Scottish ales, uh, just because I feel that that aroma and flavor is a little polarizing. So we wanted to let the bourbon barrels and the age do the the talking on this beer, so that one's going to be released here shortly but i would say uh, the best way to find where our beers are at is checking out our website revbrew.com. our communications sales and marketing team does an awesome job of keeping that updated and having all kinds of cool things and it shows a list of Uh, where our beers are at, everything that's going to be coming up, it's it's a really awesome resource to finding out what's going on at, at Revolution. So I would highly recommend checking that out. It's a great reference.
0: Excellent. Perfect. Uh, you can also find Revolution at, um, on Instagram, at RevBrewChicago. Um, so thanks again, Jim, for being here. Thanks to Revolution for supplying these amazing beers we got to have tonight. And of course, as always, to our Beer Club subscribers. So you can find us at brewvana.com. There you can explore subscriptions, options, and get Beers like these ship to your doorstep every month. Brian will be back next week with our next episode in Chicago, where we're going to be featuring Pipeworks Brewing Company. But until then, as Brian always says, stay safe, be kind, and support your local breweries. Cheers, y'all.
2: Thank you, everyone. Cheers.